You are listening to the Empowering Indian Expats podcast. If you are in India living abroad, feeling stuck in an average 9 to 5 or a job or business that's not helping you reach your full potential, this is the podcast to tune in where you will find your role models and learn from their dream struggle victory stories. This is your host Ehsan Ali, a long-time IT professional living in Sydney, Australia, who has made it his mission to find and unpack these stories, strategies and life lessons of successful and inspiring Indian expats to help you and I reach our full potential. Today's guest is an ex-senior IT executive who worked with likes of PwC, KPMG, SR and Tech Mahindra before he took the leap and now owns couple of Australian made food brands. The story of Manishi Dave is on the Empowering Indian Expats podcast. I'm really inspired by Manishi's approach to entrepreneurship, his calm and composed demeanor and his keenness to give back. I'm interested to know how he got into food distribution business after two decades of working in corporate. I also want to find out the current opportunities in fast-moving consumer goods distribution business, especially because COVID has disrupted the global supply chain. So let's talk to Manishi and get some inspiration and strategies for your entrepreneurial journey. Hi Manishi. Hey Ishan, how are you? I'm very good. Uh, thank you for your time and welcome to the Empowering Indian Expats podcast. You know, in this uh, podcast, we interview Indian expats uh, who were corporate professional and they have moved into entrepreneurship. So far, I have been talking to people who are in uh, more like new generation businesses. Uh, you know, somebody is building SaaS products, somebody is into coaching and consulting. Uh, you have a very different uh, approach to business. So I'm very, very keen to understand how you got into food distribution and uh, what prompted you to get into business uh, to start with. Uh, looking forward to sharing whatever insights I can, uh, Ishan. And uh, look, I'm sure there is something to learn from uh, any experience or any journey or life that uh, all of us go through. Definitely. So as far as I know, you were working with a large IT giant until 2010. So you have been in entrepreneurship arena for almost 10, 11 years. So so do you want to talk about your journey? I worked with multiple large organizations. Okay. So whether it was PwC, whether it was SR or Tech Mahindra Satyam, I think that gave me a reasonably good experience of how large organizations work and what the flexibility entrepreneurial opportunities they provide within their constraints. Okay, so effectively, though I spent long times with multiple organizations, I had every, let us say, nine, nine, nine to about uh, 14 months, I had a new job within that team. Okay, so that kept me going, new challenge, new learning, uh, new initiative, be part, either lead a team or be part of those uh, new initiatives. Fantastic learning and worked not only in India, but other parts of the world as well. The US, Middle East, uh, South Korea, and finally landed up in Australia, parked myself here, uh, at least for the moment. Having done that, I think there was an opportunity to, uh, between me and my last employer to say sort of goodbye to one another. And we said, look, what is it that you're going to do after that? Look, I've been a consultant for too long, so I thought let's sort of do consulting. 
And that for some time, working now, at that time I was working, you know, with large companies when I was employed and then in the consulting environment started working with small and medium enterprises. Look, the context and the landscape was completely different. Okay, you are talking, we got all used to long lead times, multiple uh, complex sales. And here you straight away, you're talking to a, a business owner and he just needs to decide in a few days or a few weeks time, go, no go. And the uh, engagement life cycle is pretty short and you get an opportunity to make a huge impact. So that was sort of going on for some time. And I got an opportunity to help out a friend of mine who had a software business. He had written a software for real estate agents the challenge there wasn't really consulting okay product was already ready he had a few paying customers challenge was sales i said okay chalo we'll you know give it a shot and uh, see where we go so i think about seven eight months uh, i was doing door knocking meeting mostly real estate agents in and around sydney some overseas as well that gave me a reasonably good exposure to sales my exposure to sales earlier on was corporate sales, which is a long lead time and, you know, 20 people trying to chase the billion dollar opportunity. Here it was straight away one-on-one conversations. So I think that was a good experience. And how long did you do consulting and selling before you decided to get into food distribution business? Okay. Look, I didn't decide to get into food distribution. Okay. So it's a question of if you sit down and collect, uh, connect the dots, as Steve Jobs said. My transition into food distribution was actually a path rather than a plan. It just happened. We had, I had on my annual visits to Bombay, I was just catching up with my cousin's friend. They are into food manufacture. They do masalas for one of the uncle's shop, which is reasonably big. And there's a bunch of young, you know, energetic guys. They said, look, uh, we've been selling it to uncle. Money's there, blah, blah, blah. But look, we'd like to do a lot of other things. And we started to get some traction in the UK. Can you help us with Australia? I said, look, of course I can help. But look, I don't know anything about what you guys are after. But look, we'll find, uh, we'll work the network and see what we can do for you. So, uh, work the network. A friend of mine had just bought, uh, he's an IT guy. He just bought a small catering business. And he was into it for about seven, eight months or almost about a year. But courtesy that, he was he knew the landscape. He knew the players there. And he said, look, you know, these are the guys you should meet. The, the regular price check and I was able to do, but you know, engagement with uh, players wasn't really possible. So he pointed me and we got to do that. In consultant fashion, made a spreadsheet, sent it to my friends, my cousin's friend in India. And for the moment, we were done. On the back of that network that got developed, I think some opportunities. And somebody said, look, this friend of mine said, uh, his name is Rahul. He said, look, you know what? There is an opportunity to get some bill powder. Uh, somebody he knows was after it and can you do something? I said, all right, Chalo, you work the network, you know, talk to people. Finally, we went up, did a meeting with somebody. This guy said, look, I can give you a bill powder. By the way, you guys are Indians. I can give you some ghee as well. So he said, okay. We didn't know the G of ghee, okay, at that point from a business perspective. Yeah. Our perspective was only purely uh, consume it, uh, consuming it for ourselves. Uh, we got a small parcel of ghee. Uh, Rahul and me worked through what else we could do. And uh, said, look, let's just give it to a few people and see whether they like it. So it turned out people liked what we presented to them. So we went back to this guy said, look, you know, that conversation that you were talking about looks serious. Uh, how do we take it forward? 
took i had no clue of this at all okay in terms of the trade what to do how to do so within a few meetings i think we just got guidance on what to do so we we got the logo organized we got the branding organized we we got a contract packer organized and we got some sourcing organized for the containers all along through my engagement with various stakeholders my corporate job sort of helped me in trying to present ourselves as a credible customer to them and serious about what we are trying to do so that was pretty useful in about 4 4 3 to 4 months time we were able to wrap up everything okay contract packer branding and labeling and things like that we bought a first parcel of key wholesale bulk container and then we got it packed and presented to a few shops at that time we just said one sq one pack okay our biggest 1.6 kilo we presented people liked it okay critical decision at that point was how do you price it because australia is an open market so geez from all parts of the world come so whether it's indian whether it's middle eastern or european or from canada you know we had all the products available in the market so why would somebody want to try something else so we went through that whole process of price comparison positioning our product and so we said look our product is a local product our costs are local therefore it's got to be a little bit expensive a little bit premium to what's available and how do we differentiate we were able to find a sweet spot there premium but not uh, out of the world mm. and uh, position ourselves within the i think about between 10 to 15 based on what kind of customer segments we are talking about those were the uh, other players in the market okay in terms of individual brands uh, coming we had uh, these from new zealand we had the from uh, malaysia and a few others as well so having got the product market fit uh, uh, done we then presented to the shop guys and said that look this is it see how we go don't pay us the money if it doesn't sell we'll take it back and we were amazed at the positive encouragement and the response that we got from people uh that sort of uh, got us started i did door knocking went and met all the shopkeepers engaged with them told them and navigated through all their conversations and concerns uh, we were able to address uh, that and uh, the product uh, sold and spoke for itself so that's made a life simpler Mm. my question goes back to when you left your job first time was it a well planned move or how did you go about it because that's where most people get stuck they want no, no, to do it, something it it wasn't a it wasn't a well planned move i think it happened out of a lot of things that happened in the corporate restructuring but connect, connecting the dots uh, i think the reason why i spoke a little bit about my earlier days when i was in a school i used to sell a little bit of paper and pens and few things and you know, make some money okay. <laughs> okay so the entrepreneurial side was always there it was latent but the corporate job i told you every 8 9 months to about a year and a half or so i had a new project and a new job so that was entrepreneurial in the corporate sense okay so when you left your uh, uh, corporate job and how was the situation in the early days did you find your customers immediately did you have any cash flow challenges early days or any one of those things think of all the problems that you just mentioned and we had them okay finding customers look thanks to my mate he sort of pointed out to me that talk with this guy blah 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 we we did that okay cash flow was always a challenge look we are we started a business with very little money 
Okay, good thing is because we were a leverage business, we had a contract packer who was sort of doing the job for us. We didn't need infrastructure at all to do that. Our only infrastructure was raw materials, packing material, and then most of our other investment was in terms of time, which uh, at that point didn't come or came at zero cost. Right. But trying to juggle cash flow was a huge challenge. We had only one uh, one SKU, uh, and we needed to juggle. And initially, our refill cycles were about almost about uh, six to eight weeks time. But we we sort of uh, weathered that. We we knew that this was just a starting point. This is uh, this is going to make sense only when we add more the basket exposure and the, uh, the invoice sale that we are making per shop. Once it goes up, that's when this is going to return. So we were not really looking for an immediate return. Mm-hmm. But we wanted to make sure at least it's a viable business. Right. Did you have to borrow uh, from bank? We, we didn't go the bank route, but we went the family route. We had a number of people in the family who supported us at uh, various points in time to manage the cash flow. So you are doing it on your own, uh, Manishi, or you have a friend? You named Rahul, so you and Rahul... Correct. So, so what, what happened is... No, no. So look, connecting the dots, look, at the time when you kick off a project, you need all kinds of skills. So sitting back and reflecting on what role he had to play at the moment, he helped me kickstart. The business was pretty small. We didn't have money for one guy to make and sustain it, whereas a question of two guys surviving. Mm-hmm. So he had another uh, number of other deeds happening. So he sort of moved on at that point. But he helped me kickstart. Right. Which was, which was very critical at that point. We are not from the trade. We didn't know anything about it. That's right. You need somebody to handhold, uh, guide you, bounce more. You, look, you have basic intelligence, but you know, handholding is a different thing. He sort of so, uh, served that purpose and then moved on. So you're a solopreneur. And it's been, uh, I guess, six, seven years in the business. That's correct. Uh, so what's your reach like today? So you, uh, if I understand, you are uh, selling one brand by name, uh, Gopalji, which uh, sells ghee, and then you have started a new brand. Golden Lotus. Golden Lotus, where you are selling honey. So look, our focus at the moment is uh, Indian grocery shops Indian okay, grocery or, Southeast, or Southeast Asian grocery shops. Okay. So whether it's an Indian, whether it's a Pakistani or a Sri Lankan or Nepali, all of them you know, fall under that uh, category. And a few Middle Eastern shops. Okay. A uh, few veggie shops. In terms of geographic coverage, we cover the whole of Sydney. We used to do Melbourne. We used to do Brisbane. At the moment, we do Canberra. We do a little bit of Perth. Okay. And what's your uh, plan right now in terms of just taking it to the next level? Or you want to use any different model of distribution? Correct. So look, along the journey, there were various learnings that we Okay. Ours is a touch and feel business. You've got to be there. We started online last year. It's making slow and steady progress on eBay and Amazon. Okay. It's given us visibility. It's given us some sales. Once again, enough to sort of tell us that it's, uh, you need to do that and you need to sort of grow that. Okay. Yeah. We did distribution in two places, Brisbane as well as Melbourne. It went on for a reasonably long time, almost about two years. Okay, good thing for us is uh, we moved volume. Uh, we were able to be present in the market. The challenge there was, look, we were really didn't know how to select a distributor and what to expect of it. In terms of, uh, as I told you, the journey is going to make sense in our business if you are into it long term and if you add more products. We didn't really have that at that point in time. So both of our distributors had other gigs going. 
they sort of said, you know, uh, goodbye and, you know, uh, we'd rather do something else rather than spend, which was, I think, fair from their perspective. I had the passion. It was our product and we, we had a long-term view. Somebody's not able to see that. I think they need to just move on. So that's where we are in terms of distribution and reach. Getting back to our core business as a distributor or as a brand owner, what do you do? You have an access to a number of shops or, or outlets where you, know, where you are selling. The question is, how can your sale per shop go up from theoretically $100 to $500 to $1,000 to $10,000? That happens if you got more products. All right. Earlier on, we made a few choices. A, we are not going to import from uh, India. Okay, why? Because look, Tom, Dick, and Harry's over. They are already doing that at that point, and even current thinking is to be in that position for some time. So we were looking at local products, differentiated products, and we tried a number of kits. Most of them did not work for a variety of reasons, but I think the learning in that whole process was huge. Okay, somewhere supplier had a challenge, somewhere pricing was a problem, somewhere, somewhere you know, we had the wrong product. And somewhere we had a good product, which is going, we didn't give it the energy. Mm. Okay, one of my biggest learnings is, you got to hold when you're introducing a new product, be patient and work the market. Mm. And if the product is good, wait for the market to grow. Mm. We had a fantastic basket of products, which we didn't really work as hard. And we gave it up at that point in time. And today we see a number of other people trying to do the same thing. And we're doing you know, much successfully than what we were able to do. So you're saying you don't expect results immediately. You've got to hold on when you come up with a new product idea. Correct, 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 correct. Look, we were not in the business of taking something and just peddling it, if you know what I mean. Mm. Okay, mm. there's an apple. I'm going to give you, a, there's a red apple available. I'm going to give you a green apple. Look, at the end of the day, food business is all about similar products, but you need to differentiate. So when you talk about differentiator, you said 100% Australian made. That's one differentiator. Does that really count when it comes to Asian? Because ghee, uh, if I come from India, I would want a ghee, pure ghee coming from India rather than somebody making it here. So how did you really go about making it work? I mean, it's, sometimes to me, it looks like there are five variety lying in the shop and I'll buy something which I already know of as a name. Uh, sounds Indian because it's pretty Indian product. Why would somebody buy your product? How did you go about differentiating and growing your sales there? I think we, we learned that pretty much earlier on. When we launched our product, we clearly needed to have a differentiation story. Otherwise, nobody would buy a product. Right. So, and all the products that we've done, even the unsuccessful ones, that has been our story. That if there is no value or differentiation, we are really not going to take something that 100 other people on the market are doing. So those were the ticks. So for, for example, our ghee, you know, our specification is a little bit higher. The product, we, we, were the, we were the early guys to make sure you could see the ghee that's got there. So we got the packaging the way we did. Okay, logo was different. Our taste was different. Our price point was different. Okay, so those were some of the parameters on which you differentiated. The product is, it's the way it's presented. It's the packaging and a number of other things. The commercials also are definition of the product. We are able okay. to differentiate on all these things. You go through distributor or you directly go to the retail shop? No, we are distributing ourselves. Look, so because we are, an asset light, uh, we are an asset light business, we right. don't make uh, things ourselves. We buy it either in bulk and get it contract back. 
or we, we, we buy it with our labels uh, from other people. That's what we are doing for, for the honey, the Golden Lotus brand that we got. Right. So as a customer, when I look at Gopalji ghee, how, why would I really uh, decide to buy? So when you say you, you have a differentiator and all of those things, you tell those to the, the shopkeepers or do you do some kind of advertisement that reaches to end customers like that? Or how do you really create awareness to people that you have something special? Though we are in a B2C business, we haven't gone directly to customer uh, till date in an aggressive fashion. Okay, we are just learning the art of advertisement uh, over the last, I think, about a year, year and a half, a little bit, not significantly. So our customer is actually the shopkeeper and and the people there. So we got a script to tell them and help them uh, differentiate the product and sustain the product when customers ask, you know, four questions. Okay, fantastic. That we makes tell sense. them there's a script. This is what you need to tell. This is what you need to tell. Blah blah blah, etc., etc. And you know that sort of you know works. Can you share that for me? Yeah, yeah. Oh, absolutely. So we yeah. tell them, look, it's a local and uh, local. Also, our product sourcing is Australia, New Zealand. So we say it's a local product. Uh, ghee is danedar. Okay, the <laughs> others, the other local ghee may or may not be danedar. Okay. Right. Which means organic, right? Your grass-fed meaning organic. That's what no, they call it. Grass, okay, so let's just sort of step back. Grass-fed is most of the cattle or the cows. Okay, in Australia, New Zealand, we have only cows. There is no bears. There's no right. buffalo. Right. Most of the cows are fed basically in the barn. Right. Whereas in Australia, New Zealand, they actually graze on the grass. As a result of which, the color of the ghee that you see, you won't get it in other places. Okay, so whether it's um, Europe, whether it's America, uh, there is significant grain content in what they are fed. And as a result of which, the yellow in the ghee comes from beta carotene, which just comes from grass. Fantastic. Now that makes sense. So, so that's how we sort of differentiated and we educated them. But that makes a lot of sense, yes. So uh, we, we sort of use that for all the other products. We recently launched about, uh, I think about six months back, locally made uh, spice powders. Uh, which okay. is lo- locally made as a result of which, you know, it is expensive. It is made at a small, on a small scale, uh, which once again makes it a little bit expensive. But, you know, you are able to articulate and differentiate. And at the end of the day, the product needs to stand. So once people eat it, they know what it is. Right. Fresh is fresh. As of something which came about, which was made about six months back. Right. Uh, overseas and come, the price points are different. Manish, you've been here in this business for six, seven years now. So now you understand the end to end, the building blocks, the time it takes to uh, set things up or time it takes to create awareness uh, in the market and so on and so forth. Uh, based on that knowledge, uh, if I ask you, if I had to set up or distribute a product, for example, I say, I want to get into health supplement business or I want to get into say cosmetic business. What are the steps I should take? And based on your experience, what's the launch to start to making money or profit time? Number one question, do you recommend getting in that business? Based on your knowledge, do you see it's a profitable and freedom business? I want to have a little bit of life as well while I'm running a business. So give me some insight into this whole distribution business. So I'll tell you before I start immediately responding to your question. Look, I am a very active volunteer of the Thai network. Yeah. Okay. You know what Thai is? It's a global yes. entrepreneur support organization that works yes. across the world. Yes. I've been very active with Thai Sydney for a long time. Yeah. 
I miss telling you, but part of my entrepreneurial journey, the inspiration also came from Thai, okay. and the support came through Thai. Yeah. Okay. Where we engage and uh, with uh, entrepreneurs and address the questions that you just mentioned on a daily basis. Right. Okay. okay. In a more literal sense, you know, every week or every two weeks or so, somebody just comes to us with some kind of an idea and tells us what to do. Yeah. Okay. The simple answer is get into it. Don't worry. Right. Most of the ideas that you're talking about are already there right. at a macro level. Okay, so is your supplement going to be different from 20 other supplements? Might be a little bit different, but at the end of the day, it's a supplement. Yes. Is your cosmetic, your face cream, of course, is going to be a little bit for a face mask, is going to be a little bit different from what is there out with. But you know, at the end of the day, uh, until the education and the awareness comes, you know, it's just another face mask in the uh, or. or uh, or a lipstick or whatever it might be. So should you get into it? You should get it. Okay. <laughs> yeah. How do you differentiate? You need to work and figure out who, what's the competition, whether you want to use the blue ocean strategy framework or you want to use something else. Take a look at, do the market scan aggressively. Right. Okay. And figure out that look based on what is available for me from a sourcing perspective my differentiation is going to be on these five parameters or 10 parameters or two, par two parameters. Okay, so in your, in the case of supplements, it's either the product or it's a price or the availability or the end impact. Your formulation itself is such that there's nothing really available like that in the market. Okay, likewise for cosmetics or for honey or whatever it is. Yeah, a uh, hundred other honeys are available. You are the hundred and first one, but you know, Mine is available at the cost available to you today here. So as I said, the definition of differentiation is pretty vast and wide. So once the product is sort of, if either 100% finalized or let's say 60, 70% finalized, the other thing to look at is who's going to buy it. And the whole question of who's my customer and how do I reach, reach them, which means what is my channel? What is my distribution? What is my access to that customer? So if you take your uh, health uh, supplements business, are you going to be selling to a bodybuilder uh, on an individual basis? Or are you going to sell somebody who just visits uh, a particular gym or is pursuing a particular part of a diet or keto diet or whatever it is? You need to just find out who that customer is, uh, customers are, and where are you going to access them? Okay, where do they frequent? Where do they access? And then where can your product be positioned? either by yourself or somebody else who has access to that customer at that point. Right. Once the two are decided, then it's a question of just logistics on the sourcing side and on the distribution side. Right. So is the, is the biggest challenge in identifying the uh, problem or identifying the gap and then coming up with a product or the problem is in the whole distribution and manufacturing and all of those. Where is the biggest challenge in this business model? Look, uh, the challenge is at various steps, various aspects, okay? on the I'll just give you a flavor on the distribution side. When we started our business, we didn't want to distribute. We thought we'll be a product company. We'll give it to other people to sell it. We spent about five, six months wasting time because existing distributors didn't want to take a product. So then we had no option but to do the work uh, ourselves. Mm. On another aspect, our learnings from uh, the exposures to the two cities I mentioned, Sydney, I mean, Melbourne and Brisbane, we had the uh, distributed with a lot of energy. 
but we didn't really have enough product at that point to sort of feed them and get them excited about working with us on a long term basis the enthusiasm tapered down in about 2 years time so they didn't see a lot of value working with you is it correct correct mm-hmm. correct, correct, correct so on reflection they weren't the right kind of distributors it it served helped us serve an immediate goal but it wasn't a sustainable long term goal so if you had to again work with those distributors how would you go about it differently just come up with more products or what correct either have more products or we able to say that look you already have access to this channel and that is the reason why I discussed who's your customer and how do you access that customer in who's meeting that customer so our customer though is not the end consumer is actually the the grocery shop right so right. who's visiting the grocery shop on a daily basis or on a weekly basis or on a fortnightly basis and who's selling worth of stuff and then can we add, help them to give another two, three, five hundred or $1,000 worth of sale on the existing. So thinking through through and being aware of that is is a critical aspect in trying to look at a distributor. Right. At the end of the day, your goal looks like is to make your shopkeepers successful. They are successful if they are seeing value, if they are making money then they are with you absolutely so, as long as a product get, goes in and gets out they are a happy bunch of lot okay if uh, the money is a little bit more still better if the money is a little bit less if the velocity of the product is there they won't really matter with your knowledge what are the top 3 product lines that you would think if you had to start over all over again now you are already doing honey and ghee and some other stuff so i'll i'll just share a couple of insights okay and uh, though i'm talking my specific uh, vertical and my specific landscape it's always good to apply this elsewhere yeah okay let's say i'm making a particular thing x yeah and you are my consumer okay i've sold it to you today there are two models okay one is i've sold it to you whether it's a phone or something goodbye i don't talk to you for the next one year two years five years or 10 years or whatever it's based on what you are you bought a house you're going to buy one house two houses three houses you're not going to buy 100 houses so trying to understand value of customer for you and how many of them are going to come and refill from you on what time frame is very critical it's a part of your business model design okay so in the distribution model it's about you did the first sale okay when are you going to do the second sale and the third sale and the fourth sale so what is your product at what pace is it being consumed by the end user that will dictate the logistics yeah let's get back to our specific ghee you bought a bottle of ghee today are you going to buy the ghee bottle tomorrow no, you won't unless unless you are doing an event or there is something happening suddenly you need another uh, uh, 5 10 20 kilos or what not and after that you will visit only after about a month or two months or what not to buy yeah so because i told you we started with a single sku we understood that uh, a little bit late mm. okay we had other constraints we didn't have packing available we didn't have really material available because of a leverage model and the penetration into the packaging business uh, or the packaging suppliers network it took some time for us to add uh, in the early days mm. we were second uh, pack took us about i think about 6 to 8 months and the third pack took us almost about a year you mean different sizes you had 1.6 liter correct. and then you started correct. to add different sizes correct okay. correct but having said that we are still we still were and we still continue to play in the ghee market 
okay which in our trade jargon is a once a fortnight once a month refill cycle we are not in the something which is consumed on a daily basis are you suggesting uh, there are uh, product lines which are much fast moving and that's where you are recommending to get in if somebody wants to get in distribution no no so amongst the various ideas that we worked on and i think one of the ideas that i told you we didn't work as uh, well was a weekly refill cycle and what product line was that uh, that was a freshly made switch okay we we didn't pursue it uh, as aggressively as we thought and uh, on hindsight that is moved very well we see other few people doing that right okay so linking to your other question if you're going to be doing supplements or cosmetics you need to refill you need to be aware of look today you sold one one let's say 100 grams or 500 grams or one kilo of supplement when is your customer going to come back for the second one right got okay. it and what is the bucket or if you're selling a lipstick uh when do they buy the second lipstick because that's when you're you're going to make money right so this whole market research did you uh, did you all do everything on your own or you hired somebody to do it or how does it work how do you get confident that the amount of analysis or research you have done is good enough when we come from corporate world we don't have that experience yeah i think that's part of my transition to entrepreneurship from corporate world and that applies to anybody else look corporate is all about de-risking is all about making sure you carry people along with you yeah and making sure you sort of take risk but you know calculate risk right on an entrepreneurial journey most often you are solo or you got a few people yeah you can do your analysis paralysis up to a point but at the end of the day you got to jump okay you can't be on the on your spreadsheet for 6 months trying to figure out you know whether it's making sense to do it or not okay you got to be agile so our learnings were a little bit of planning help but the market or when you're walking down the path you learn a lot and how do you decide what should be my next step and next step so as you said we don't know much about how the business world works in in the small business arena because we have always been in corporate um these days there's a lot of coaching and mentoring happens a lot of people who have made it they mentor other people so that we you have some kind of road map and of course you have to make decisions on your own but you at least get uh, some kind of a road map did you have those kind of road map or you had to figure it out on your own no no look the road map look having worked in large corporates uh, road map is always there at the back of your mind okay. but the trick is also in navigating okay so you got to be on the path your road map is not going to tell you everything okay And how do you find help manishi you, do you do you say like you have to do everything on your own or you need to reach out to people who have already done what you are trying to do correct so look you got to work your networks work and your one network. thing that i found look i have always been active on giving back to the society okay whether it's tie or whether it's one or two other organizations with whom i've been involved yes courtesy that when you want to give back okay what i've learned is when you want assistance assistance comes from unexpected unknown quarters so you have to put yourself out is key it's an ongoing journey of giving rather than you know thinking of uh, how can i get help now we will not get help now unless we are involved and giving in community in certain uh, ways for a long time so correct so i i found both of them working you know very well for me That's when you right. do selfless service at that point you don't know what you are doing why you are doing okay 
but it comes back to you in terms of some help or some advice or some insight which out of the blue somebody you don't even know like this mate of mine rahul popped up and a few other cases i've been thinking of what to do and i meet a guy at a petrol pump and you know five minute conversation and blah <laughs> my <laughs> my issues addressed interesting so yeah. tai tai was definitely a good help for you is there any other organization you would name for uh, somebody who's keen to get in business to get involved because not everybody has the same interest and if there are different organizations people can uh, be part of correct i haven't really gone to too many organizations my exposure has been limited to tai and uh, i think as a volunteer it sort of uh, worked work for me okay i would recommend that uh, if you were a tai chapter in your city or in your neighborhood yeah do that otherwise find you know uh, go to meetups today meet i think up. the good thing with meetups is it get, gives you a great opportunity to spot you know 10000 people with various interest that you know are aligned with what you're trying to do yeah meet up definitely you know, is helpful yeah. be, be be a part of that journey or be a part of that group yeah so you don't really recommend uh, or this is a question so when you left uh, you said you were part of the restructuring and stuff like that uh, looking back if you have to uh, do all over again uh, would you do anything different absolutely look couple of look when i was in my corporate job i thought i was entrepreneur quite clearly after being an entrepreneur i i can tell you i didn't do a great job or put it differently i could have done a better job hmm. in in corporate world or the way you transitioned from corporate world no no in, in the corporate world okay look the transition life is a journey look you can plan a few things beyond that i think life takes over you Okay. okay okay so whether you want to call it karma or whether you want to call it circumstances or situations whatever it is and even if you look at steve jobs connecting the dots this one uh, there is a bigger route or a plan uh, planned for you you need to navigate that and be aware that you know it's all of it is part of the journey mm-hmm. as as long as you are able to take it in stride some situations are within your control some situations are not within your control that's very true so while somebody is still in corporate world Uh, what all one should do to prepare well uh, to come to the transition it's not an easy journey as you know manish getting on your own is uh, uh, you know got to have some sort of emotional resilience to manage it otherwise it's a very tough journey so i would say <laughs> huge i would say huge emotional resilience so, i mean you need you need significant the transition is huge one you need tremendous will power and uh, sense of purpose to sort of drive that uh the earlier you take it the better it is like Any, anything else like anything else you know the minute you start playing that game you know you you learn the game so what kind of preparation one can do while still in corporate world well be an entrepreneur in what you are in your department in your team or whatever who's an entrepreneur a guy who says that look this is a problem that either my customer has or my company has or whatever and i take ownership of fixing Right. Look, what's the difference between an entrepreneur and somebody else? Somebody who's taken uh, onus, whatever it is that I am going to see the solution to this thing end to end. Okay. Nobody's told you to do it, mate. Your boss okay. hasn't told you, so you've got to be a self. You need to find purpose in doing what you're doing. Yeah. That is okay. the biggest trait of the entrepreneur. Look, you are the change maker. You are the only one passionate about making that change. 
Okay, so now, you know, we have this COVID situation and you are already in the business world for a long time. You are part of Thai. So you see a variety of different business models. So a lot of people have lost job. Can you call out few good opportunity for people, especially in tech world where we come from, can participate and can have higher chances of succeeding if they take that route? Do you see some of those options as of now? Look, I'm unable to give you a list of 20, but at the macro level, I just tell yeah. you whenever yeah. there is a change or a transition, okay, few things will stop, few things will start. Okay, so the question is, are you able to catch that wave? Okay, in COVID world, what we saw a lot of things, at least in the segments that we play, uh, online shopping went up significantly. Mm. Okay, mm. so people were because of various criteria, people weren't hitting the road as often, and which means they were parked and they needed to get you know, food and other things you know, delivered to them. So that, that was a trend that happened. Mm. People were spending more time at home. This work from home is a has always been there, but people who tasted blood with it, a lot of them want to continue with that. Mm. It gives them flexibility. People have complained about you know, obesity, complained about working long hours. But people have complained about doing well. So wellness. Those, correct. So whether it is wellness and, you know, when you transition from office, I'll give you an example of coffee shops. Mm. Okay. People moved from going to the office and at 8 o'clock, 9 o'clock having coffee and getting out and then working once again, going out and having lunch and coming out. Mm. People started working from home. There was no coffee for them. What to do? So what is the next best thing you do? Okay, drive whatever, five, 10 minutes to the closest coffee shop and you know, go ahead, coffee and have it. As a result of which local coffee shop sales, you know, went up significantly huge in some godforsaken places. Oh, okay. That's interesting. Okay. So I'm saying you got to be spotting opportunities and wherever you think you can create value or differentiate or whatever, you could get in. Okay. Talking about covid well, the whole health sector has changed significantly. Mm. Okay, there are huge opportunities around that. I'll tell you about uh, the COVID other impact. Forget the food. You know, the global supply chain is all called for a toss, correct? You were today buying something from wherever it was and it was coming by ship or whatever it is in a few days or whatever, correct? Today, supply might not be there or supply is there. There is no guarantee that it will come on the day you want it. So, Supply chain reorganization, sourcing reorganization is happening and people are trying to say that, look, if it is a strategic item, how can we make it either close to it or whatever it is without you know, dropping any names? Mm. So there are serious large players who are used to certain market sourcing, etc. are all trying to say, where else can we source it from? Okay, yeah. one large, uh, large company I spoke with, uh, we had them on our, one of our Thai events. He says, look, I've got about 10 people looking at global sourcing just because I can't guarantee availability for my customers. So they want to manufacture locally. They want to do everything, whatever is possible. That's a large organization that applies for small as well. Applies for small as well. Not necessarily large. Okay. 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 So you have given some insights into spotting the market in terms of where you live, what circumstances we are in. And uh, you also talked about uh, doing a lot of market research before really starting to think of building a product. And uh, talking to customer is key in my mind. Uh, talking to customer. Absolutely. And, 
Absolutely. Uh, yeah, so Correct. rather than coming up with a product because I like it, uh, it should be other way around. Uh, talk to the customer to understand the gap and then see if it matches with your likeness and then go about doing it. There is a very senior Thai member who taught us very earlier on, sell before you build. Sell before you build. Yeah, this was much before Lean Canvas and other concepts came about. Basically, engage with customers, talk to them, get your product defined. And it is something that, you know, any you and me, we are both from the IT industry. We always had a requirement spec document, right? Right. What was that? Yeah, engaging yeah. with the customer, telling him what he wanted, yeah. uh, understanding what he wanted and trying to save it, deliver that. Yeah. Okay. So there is no shortfall, no shortcut to engaging with customers. Got it. Now, in terms of the resources that you, an entrepreneur requires to succeed, uh, you, you have gone through a lot. Can you call out a couple of key resources that was really useful for you in this journey? Look, to my mind, I think there were two two great resources which I leveraged. One was the Thai network, which was for me oxygen okay. and learning from fellow entrepreneurs who were on the journey. The other was, look, as we just mentioned some time back, you are the only change maker. You're the only guy who wants to do something different. So trying to be that elephant amongst dogs is a challenge. How do you hold your mind? Okay, so spiritual practices, meditation, doing mantra, japa, etc. Uh, listening to audio talks, those are all been part of my oxygen. Good. Anybody in particular who has influenced you in this journey? Look, I've had, I've been blessed with multiple spiritual gurus who blessed me. So all of them are there, really not wanting to name any of them. Okay. Any other uh, book or any other resources apart from Thai and fellow entrepreneurship and your spiritual uh, gurus or masters? So I'll, I'll, I'll say, look, uh, the, the volunteering was a great, uh, uh, because what happens is, look, on an entrepreneurial journey, you won't not, not, you will not always get an outcome desired outcome at the pace that you want. Mm. Mm. So you sort of very often lose your sense of purpose. Mm. Or you need that booster or shot or whatever you want to call it. Yeah. Mm. Or that hormone or not to say that. Mm. What am I doing? Why is it? Is it worthwhile? Uh, mm. Etc. So that volunteering always uh, played a great role in helping me define my sense of purpose. Mm-hmm. No, when I was sort of uh, uh, doubting myself. Yeah, okay. Yeah, you are able to make a difference, even if it was somebody else. Definitely. Yeah. So you, you feel good about it, and that gives you enough oxygen. Now I can completely relate to it. Every time I have helped others or volunteered in some way, I really felt good. And you see, that time I'm not focusing on my problems. I think it takes away the focus from all the problems that I was thinking or the anxiety I may be having at that point in time. Correct. And on a, on a different note, you know, if you, let's take the Archimedes example. When did the idea strike him? Okay. The one that he did. Not when he was in the lab, right? He was in the pool, yeah. So what does that indicate when the mind was rested, when he was thinking of something else? In that? True. Very true. No, very, yeah. very, so, very So true. the mind needs a break, just as the body needs sleep. And to my mind and my experience, volunteering sort of helped me, uh, was a good distraction. Good. No, that's a very insightful for me as well. Uh, I need to do a bit more of that. Any book uh, that you came across that was uh, useful in this journey? Most of the books I read were on the spiritual side. Uh, so okay, so all the spiritual. Much, yeah, yeah. Do you want to call out one or two which you feel like, you know what, Asan, you must read this. 
I think you should read the autobiography of a yogi. Autobiography of a yogi. Yeah. Okay. I think it was a great book, and need to reflect it on uh, both sides. One is the spiritual side, and uh, it requires reading it cup multiple times. Multiple times. Okay. I'll definitely yeah. do that. See, yeah. Manishi, I'm in early stage of my entrepreneurial journey, and you've already been there six, seven years into it, and before that, you were uh, consulting on your own. I have asked questions based on what I think are valuable for me and for my fellow listeners to know. In your mind, if you were me asking question to you, is there anything you would ask which I have missed, which would be valuable for us? I'll ask a question. When do you start your entrepreneurial journey? After six months after after I quit my job? No, you started now today, here and now. Wherever you are, whatever you are doing, start wearing that hat. And you will be able to look at the world slightly differently. Got it. So I'll not rephrase. I'll speak the same thing that you said. So now my question is, I'm in corporate world and I'm thinking of uh, starting something of my own. I don't have the clear idea of what where to start with. I don't know enough people and so on and so forth. How do I go about it? And the answer you are giving is start now. And the meaning of starting now is where that identity that you are an entrepreneur and things it starts to move. So I think what I got the message is where the identity of entrepreneur now, your journey starts now. Is that what you meant? Mindset change doesn't happen quickly. We seem to carry our own baggage. So the earlier we drop the baggage of who you are, what the role is, role is nice, fine, like, like a t-shirt or whatnot or a shirt, you know, <laughs> wear it, wear it, but you know, also wear another shirt, just as you know, you wear a shirt to office and a shirt at home or when you go to bed, you know, you, your dress is different. Mm. So, uh, just be cognizant of that and you look at things from a different perspective. Well, that's fantastic. That's That comes from experience, uh, Manishi. So thank you very much for uh, all your insight. And uh, where can people uh, connect you if somebody wants to reach out to you? I think the best way to do it is uh, through LinkedIn or our website, gopaljiglobalfoods.com. Okay. And uh, where are your products? It's there in all Indian, Indian shops, is it? At the moment, correct. That's correct. That's fantastic. So really appreciate your time, Manishi. It was lovely talking to you and uh, I'll be watching your next phase of growth with more products and uh, proud Australian made everything, which is really nice. And I will definitely want to try your products as well. So thank you very much. Thanks, Esan. Good talking with you. And I look forward to the day you launch your supplements or uh, cosmetics. So <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That was not for, and, not, and not I, for me, I, but I'll yeah. I'll be happy to sort of be on the other side and, you know, do your interview. All right. That would be awesome. Thank you for listening to the Empowering Indian Expats podcast with your host, Esan Ali. Hope you found some inspiration and specific learnings that you can start implementing straight away. For me, I got a lot from Manish's journey. First, I got a decent understanding of how to build a business in FMCG distribution arena. I feel it's the best time to be part of local supply chain because the global supply chain is disturbed due to COVID. Second, I learned that the day you decide to be an entrepreneur, the journey begins from that moment, not when you actually start the business. So you start to do everything with complete ownership in whatever you are currently doing. Third, volunteering and giving back is not only noble, it's vital for success in life and in business. Fourth, not everything goes as per plan in any business. So be ready to do course correction rather than calling it a failure. That's all for me. See you next week with another inspiring corporate to entrepreneurship transition story. 
If you are keen to start a side hustle or transition into entrepreneurship, don't hesitate to contact me to discuss your intent or idea. I may be able to connect you with someone who has already succeeded in what you want to build. Also, do let me know what value you got out of this episode.